Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And we're going to jump right in with our shout outs so we can get straight to this week's episode. Go ahead, Haley. Darla Sheel Johnson from Moorhead, Minnesota. Jenny from Bakersfield, California. Stephanie from Bakersfield, California. Shelly from Mount Air, Iowa. Sarah from Indianapolis, Indiana. Debbie from Corona. Stephen from Michigan. Margie from Fresno, California. Savannah Joy Thomaston from Connecticut. Crystal Riviera from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Julie from New Franklin, Ohio. Jacqueline from Brentwood, California. I know. I said that was fancy last time. I think we've said hi to Jacqueline before. Unless it's someone else There's that a co- Brentwood. Well, it could be. But I don't care if people say, if people take the time to to message us or comment on our stuff, we, well, I'll say hi every week. Thank you. And lastly from Facebook, we have Stephanie from Rhode Island. I've always wondered what Rhode Island was like. Apparently, it's the size of my desk. I know. Super tiny. I don't think literally. Um, Mitch from Instagram. Mitch from Pulaski, PA. Prishant from India. India. Um, Kelly, we wanted to say thank you for sharing us on your Instagram story because we saw that. Gina from Sacramento. Chelsea from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Lisa from San Diego. Do you know who that is? It's our Lisa. Oh, old name or Lisa? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brittany from Boston, Massachusetts. BJ Nutley from, no, no, BJ from Nutley, New Jersey. I don't, is that, is that real? What, you think he's trying to be funny, well, like I a know, pun I type? I don't, I don't have a dirty mind, but BJ from Nutley, New Jersey. Don't know. I, there is a Nutley, New Jersey. Hi, BJ. Calling from Yorba Linda, California. You know who that is? Yes. And Bob from Garden Grove. Hi, Bob. Um, and then last but not least from Facebook also we wanted to give a special shout out to Camden and her dad, Daniel, from Chattanooga. And we hope that, hopefully you're just listening and not on your way to physical therapy, but I have a feeling that you are on your way to physical therapy because it always goes on for weeks at a time. Haley knows what that's like right now. The worst, but you have to do it. So hopefully it's getting easier for you. And um, we have some um, other changes coming up with our Patreon. We just want to let you know that we are working on that and some exciting changes we've been terrible with our patreon but we are going to get so much better so we just wanted to give you guys a heads up and also this week our merchandise will be on our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com with halloween right around the corner i tried to think of one of thing that always scares me i mean it's like y'all know that already that planes heights ufos terrify me but i was actually trying to think of something specifically halloween themed and then i remembered the movie the exorcist have you seen the original Exorcist? The original original. Yeah, I believe so. Really? I've seen so many movies about The Exorcist, though, so I'm not sure. I don't remember how old I was when I actually saw the original, but I think it was a revival at the um, like at Halloween time at our little local theater. So we had this theater that would do like revivals and anniversaries, and I was pretty sure I saw it during its 10-year anniversary. I, I remember my mom not thinking we were old enough to see it and that we shouldn't see it. But I don't think we told her when we actually went. Um, I do remember that it scared the crap out of me. Like, bad. The Like how it did to me when I was like eight. 
Did you see The Exorcist? Or are you talking about It? I'm talking about the movie It, the original It. Yeah, no, It, it messed you up. And The Exorcist messed, messed me up. Yeah, really bad. It messed you guys up. Yeah. Shouldn't have been watching it. Um, whose idea was that? Give a shout out to our neighbor who let you watch it. The old neighbor. The Exorcist was one of those movies that you could not shake when you left the theater. Like you just couldn't get it past it. And I was watching, there's a YouTube channel called Behind the Exorcist. Check it out when you get a chance. Um, and they have video footage from 1973 of people seeing the movie The Exorcist for the first time. And I'm going to have that video linked on our episode page because it's really interesting. It shows like people being super excited to see the movie and their reactions after seeing it. And there are reports of people faint, fainting, vomiting to such an extreme that movie theaters would offer barf bags if you were so inclined to need them. Um, and watching it, their reactions are so like, it gives me anxiety actually to watch that video because I, I can feel like the tension, like they're all in line and there's like tons and tons of people going, it was the most hyped movie of the time. And you could, it's like people who are afraid to ride a roller coaster and you can feel the tension in the air. Yeah. That's how it is watching that video. It's like, you can tell people are just super tense. Like they want to see it really bad, but they're terrified to go see it. Um, it was released in December of 1973 the movie The Exorcist was the highest grossing movie of its time. I even saw reference that taking inflation into account that it is still considered the highest grossing movie. And then weirdly, it was released at Christmas time. I don't get it. It was released the day after Christmas. The movie, based loosely on the book by William Peter Platty, shows the story of a 12-year-old Reagan, played by Linda Blair, and her family as they try and deal um, with some radically disturbing behavior in Reagan's. The book, The Exorcist, was based on the real life or purported real life possession and exorcism of a one Ronald Roland Doe. He was sometimes referred to as Roland, sometimes Ronald, and even sometimes Robbie. Either way, his not his real name has never actually been released. In some references, I found the last name Hunksler, and other I found Mannheim. So I don't really know who what his last name is. It says that. Um, he has denied any of the things written about him or what happened. Some say he doesn't remember. Others say it just didn't happen. But what I'm going to tell you is the stories I found regarding Roland, which is what we're going to call him, and the claims about his demonic possession. The purported true story of the exorcist began in the 1940s in Washington, D.C. Roland at the time was only 13 years old and devastated by the death of his Aunt Harriet, who was supposedly a practicing spiritualist. She had taught him how and would play with him with a Ouija board. For those of you that don't know what a spiritualist is, I, mean, I think we talked about this in one of our other episodes. Oh, in the um, Winchester house. Um, spiritualism is a religious movement based on the belief that spirits of the dead exist and have both the ability and inclination to communicate with the living. Spiritualism developed and reached its peak growth in membership from the 1840s to the 1920s, especially in English-speaking countries. By 1897, spiritualism was said to have more than 8 million followers in the United States and Europe, mostly drawn from the middle and upper classes. And I, I took that definition straight from Wikipedia. I know that our family, in our family tree, we have spiritualist people who, um, French family that moved to Louisiana and then out through the South that were practicing spiritualist. It's kind of why I always thought that, that, and I said this in an earlier episode, it's kind of why I always thought I had such a fascination with ghost stories and mediumship. Um, back to the story though. When Roland, uh, when Roland's aunt passed away in 1949, Roland and his family started to experience a ton of strange things. They heard scratching coming from the floors and the walls where they couldn't see where it was coming from. 
They had water dripping from pipes and walls, and Roland's bed would suddenly move. His parents, having no explanation for what was happening, went to their minister, who's named Luther M. Schultz. He requested that the boy stay with him so he could remove him from the home and witness any of the claims himself. During their time together, he claims to have seen objects move about on their own. He saw Roland's bed move and vibrate, and the boy speaking in tongue. And although he had an interest in parapsychology, he felt that he couldn't help, so he helped them get in touch with a Catholic priest who was familiar with exorcism. Roland ended up being treated or looked at by more than one priest. One of the most famous instances was an attempted exorcism by Edward Hughes. The attempt was ended when Roland escaped his restraints. He was restrained to the bed, and somehow during, like it was super violent and crazy when they were doing the exorcism, he somehow got a spring from the mattress and slashed out at the priest and cut him so bad that he had to have stitches. Yikes. So I don't understand that they say that the story isn't true. This man had to have been treated when this happened. He had to go get stitches. So there's a, there's, I found a ton more of people that believe this happened than I did find people who didn't. Yeah, but you would have to find somewhere where it's recorded that he had to get stitches in a hospital for you to, for to validate it. No, for the, sure, but now it would be a lot more difficult than it was back in the 1940s. It was happening at that time. And it was being written about in the paper. This wasn't secret. After the failed exorcism with Father Hughes, the family went to St. Louis. Apparently, one night, the name or word Lewis was found carved in the boy's body. Like he would, when all this was going on, like it was, it it was super violent. Like it was a constant thing. And suddenly he would show up with scratches and like bite marks and like things carved into his body. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, I mean, no, I mean, very well could have been real, I guess, but also he could have just been a crazy man. Someone, well, he was 13. So some people say that the, the carvings in his body were all in places where he could have done it himself. That's what I'm saying. And other other people say no. Like it happened on the back of his arm and his back. Um. Anyways, because of the word Lewis, the family decided to go to St. Louis for also because he had a cousin who attended the St. Louis University. She had asked one of her professors, who was Raymond Bishop, if he could help her family. She told him that he had already undergone the one failed exorcism. He contacted a friend from um, College Church a man named William S. Bowdern. Both priests agreed to meet with Roland and his family. While they were there, they observed a shaking bed, the boy speaking in guttural voices, him speaking in Latin, although he, prior to this he didn't know Latin, and they even claimed to have um, seen objects flying around the room, something, one of them, which missed one, one of them in the head. And they said that there was no way, they fully believed that he was possessed. There was no way that he could have had those things Moving the bed's one thing, but having objects fly around and suddenly have scratches and marks on his body. Father Bowdern requested permission to perform another exorcism from the Archbishop, who in turn agreed. This exorcism took place at the Alaxian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis. Another priest by the name of Walter Halloran was called to the psychiatric ring of the hospital where they had put Roland. Another priest named William Van Roo was also there to um, assist Bowdern. Halloran stated that during the seance, words such as evil and hell, along with other various remarks, appeared on the boy teenager's body. During, during the litany of the saints portion of the exorcism ritual, the priest claimed that the bed shook and vibrated. 
The priest did not walk away unscathed. At one point, while Roland was violently reacting to the words in holy water, he broke Father Halloran's nose, like, by flailing about. Over 30 exorcisms were done on the boy over several weeks by the combination of priests that were brought in. Some report that the last exorcism lasted only eight minutes, and once it ended, the boy said with some relief, he's gone. Others say that he said it was, it's over, it's over. And then supposedly the room where the exorcism took place in this hospital, the hospital has been torn down since then, but the room that the exorcism took place was sealed to keep the rest of the hospital safe because they thought maybe... The devil was stuck in there? Yeah, that whatever came out of him stayed in the room. Father Halloran never spoke again after his official statement, which was that he was skeptical of paranormal claims and became more skeptical later in life. He said that he couldn't comment then as he didn't feel, and I quote, this is what he said, he didn't feel he was qualified to pass judgment and that he saw more evil during his service in the Vietnam War. But nine priests, including this Halloran, who denied it, and 39 other people signed the final papers documenting the claims and the exorcisms. Father Bishop apparently kept a diary over the months as he was visiting with the family. Reportedly, and this is what I, I can't piece together the exact things, but reportedly when they went to demolish the hospital, they found his diary because he left it purposefully in that room. A newspaper article about the story is what prompted William Peter Platty to write the book, The Exorcist. And well, that in another book um, written by Thomas B. Allen, which is called Possess, a True Story of, the, of an Exorcism. And that one actually includes the contents of the diary, and I'll provide a link on our page if anybody's interested in reading the actual parts of the diary. When Blatty contacted Father Bowdern for his help while researching the book, Bowdern declined to assist. He said that it would be embarrassing and painful for the young man who lived through the experience. The boy in the story claims to have no recollection of the experience when Thomas Allen contacted him. He had gone on to have a successful career and family, and I think he worked for NASA. Many people believe that none of this happened, that Roland, Ronald, or Robbie was just a spoiled single child with an active imagination. Some even claim that in talking to his school friends, that he was a bully and treated people particularly poorly, that his speaking Latin was fake, and anything that happened during the months that any of the priests, particularly Father Bishop, who kept the diary, were all manipulated by the boy himself, and that none of his scratches or markings were in areas that he couldn't have reached without it being supernatural. That's his friends from school? What would you say? That was um, when the author of the first book mm -hmm. reached out. He couldn't find people to talk to him, even any of the people that had signed the, the final paperwork for the, ch paperwork for the church. But um, there's one author who wrote a bunch of stuff about it not being true. He thinks that this role in Robbie Ronald was just a shithead basically and that he faked it all. I just don't know you fake it in front of that many priests. I mean, at one point there were nine priests involved. A kid that is dying for attention would thrive in that situation. It was months. I coached went kids on, like that. <laughs> it went on for months. He never got tired of it. He didn't, he didn't have a day off. He didn't like all of a sudden be okay one day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he's like, yeah, I'm going to be all right today. Like it went on to the point that he was, restrained and put in a mental institution and then he went on to have a fine life and work for nasa and everything I f you don't believe in exorcisms or possessions at all i do a little bit because if ghosts are real then why wouldn't someone be able to be possessed but this scares the shit out of me oh yeah just the thought of it we're gonna pause right here for a quick break for our sponsors we'll be right back 
All of these things that did or didn't happen were documented by the priest and followed up by at least two other writers. Then in 1973, William Friedkin, an American film and television director and producer and screenwriter, decided he wanted to create the, a movie from Blatty's novel. He faced a ton of talent challenges with the controversial topics. A movie about a secret Catholic ritual wasn't on any studio's to-do list. And soon, when strange things started happening, people became convinced the set itself was being cursed by a demon. Now, I say that none of the studios were in a big old hurry to do it, but they capitalized the crap out of the things that were happening on the set. First, shooting was delayed after the set caught on fire. The fire destroyed what was supposed to be the family's home. And the creepy thing is the only portion of the set that was unharmed was Reagan's bedroom where all the exorcism scenes are filmed. The cause of the fire was a pigeon that got into the circuit boxes. It set the production back and it ended up taking over a year to complete because of that fire. The second thing to happen is that death was a common occurrence before the film was complete. Jack McGowan, who played the alcoholic director Burke Dennings, died of complications from influenza, which he had caught in London during the flu epidemic. He was only 54. And then also, and this name is really hard to pronounce. It's a Greek name. Vizaliki, Vizaliki, Malieras. She played Father Carrera's mom. She died at the age of 89 of natural causes, which that's not creepy. But the weird thing is they both died while the movie was still in post-production. And the other thing is that they both of their char- characters die in the film. So that kind of freaks people out. The interesting fact about the woman that played Father Carrera's mom, she wasn't even an actress. The, direct, the screenplay writer and the director had found her in a restaurant and asked her to be in the movie. It's the only movie she's known for. Um, there's also a rumor that a cameraman's baby passed away during filming. Linda Blair's grandfather died while they were filming. Um, Max von Sydow's, his brother died on the first day that Max was on the set to film. Also during fil- filming, Jason Miller, who played Father Carreras, uh, almost lost his son when he was hit by a motorcycle and was critically injured. So, I mean, things happen, right? Yeah. Death, accidents, everything. But this movie, it just seemed to be happening a lot. And it would stall production all the time. Another incident that slowed and could have stopped production completely was Ellen Bernstein, who plays Reagan's mother, named Chris in the movie, was injured super badly. And she still feels it today. That The injury that she got that day, she still feels now. In the scene, Chris walks in on Reagan stabbing herself. And when she tries to stop her, Reagan punches her in the face. It's I've watched the scene on like a little clip last night. Ellen wearing a harness is pulled back to simulate like how hard the hit is from a little girl and the fall and scream and pain are completely real because when she got jerked back super hard, she landed badly and she screamed out in pain and really because she was in pain. And then she got really mad too because they kept filming it. The director's like, keep going. And she wanted them to call an ambulance. She felt like she could have been paralyzed and she's still carries that pain with her today. Linda Blair also injured her back when she was thrown out of bed when a piece of rigging broke. After the film was released, Linda Blair started receiving death threats. Get this. She was 13 years old. Take a guess why she was receiving death threats. Why? People thought she glorified the role of Satan or that the role glorified Satan basically. Yeah. And so people came out of the woodwork and was, so she had something like three or five um, bodyguards. For the next six months. She um, won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress for the film, though. Uh, actress Mercedes McCambridge, who was the voice of the demon, and I'm going to tell you more about her in a little bit, had her own true crime act out in her personal life during filming. Her, or No, actually, it was 
it wasn't during filming. It was years after filming, but she played, she played the demon. She was the voice of the demon. Her son murdered his wife, children and killed himself. Whoa. I know a lot of things for a movie, right? People thought the actual movie was itself was cursed and that if you played it, it was an invitation for demonic possession, just playing the movie and watching it. TV evangelist Billy Graham is quoted, and I found this quote in a bunch of different places, so I'll um, list the links for the places that I found it, but there were several. Said, there is a power of evil in the film, in the very fabric of the film itself. And then during the premiere in Rome, it was pouring rain, thunder, and lightning, and right when the movie started, a cathedral across the street was struck by lightning. Another theater, a woman fainted, and when she did, she broke her jaw. She blamed the movie, saying it was sending subliminal messages. She actually sued Warner Brothers, and they actually they settled for an undisclosed amount. Many theaters had ambulances parked outside during the first run of the film. This isn't all that haunted the set of the controversial movie, though. I found on the website theparanormalguide.com, which I'll, again, have a link for on our episode page, for those who love all that paranormal stuff, he wrote, and I'm quoting directly from his page, the actor who played Father Carreras, Jason Miller, had a strange experience during the filming's production. Early into production, Jason Miller was eating lunch and reading some lines for the day's scenes when he was approached by a Jesuit priest. The priest handed him a medallion of the Blessed Virgin and told him, Reveal the devil for the trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will even try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. I think I probably would have said I don't want to do the movie after that. I still question why Linda Blair's mom let her do that movie. Because it was just a role at oh, the time, there's, right? There's a crucifix scene that is just... Oh, right, right, right. Also, he wrote and found several other sources for several of the crew saying that um, the set... This is all still from that same website. Um, that the set was haunted and they recall seeing objects move about on their own. On one occasion, specifically the telephone that was used to communicate between the set and the production house, the receiver would rise off its hook on his own before falling to the floor. On one of the occasions... Blatty was sitting right next to it. At one point, the director asked a religious advisor. Now I found this. This was everywhere. Um, at one point, the director asked a religious advisor. See, the director acts like he's not trying to help them, but he did some really shitty things. He slapped a real priest in the face to get a reaction because there was a real priest in the movie. He shot off a gun behind someone to get their reaction. When Ellen Bernstein said that they were pulling her too hard, she went to the to the stunt guy that was pulling the harness and she's like, look, you're going to hurt me. And the director's like, oh, okay, take it easy on her. And she, when she walked away, she like either felt or saw them look at each other like the director's like, keep doing it. So he wasn't. He was a jerk anyway. Yeah. He asked a religious advisor, there was a father that was their advisor, to perform an actual exorcism on the set saying he thought it would quell the fears of the casting crew Originally, the priest refused. He said it would scare them more if they saw him taking it seriously. But after the fire destroyed the set, he kind of changed his mind. And he not only performed a blessing ritual, he spoke to them and did sort of like explaining what was going on and what that they needed to calm their fears. The studio at the time, like I said earlier, relished all the controversy and used it to the best of their abilities, encouraging papers and news stations to report all the things that went wrong while filming and to exploit the reactions of the audience members. The film was banned in all Middle Eastern countries and it was the highest grossing film of 1974 and received 10 Academy Award nominations, which is unheard of for horror movies. 
One of my favorite things to read that I always do all the time is IMDb. Have you heard of IMDb? Yes. The Internet Movie Database. I don't know if everybody knows about that. Use really? it. Do you go on it a lot? I mean, I don't. It's not my like nightly browsing. It is my nightly browsing. That's I exactly know, what it is. It's not for me. Every TV show, movie, or celebrity is on there, and each one has a trivia page. So I'm going to read you some of the trivia I found on there because I think it's really interesting about The Exorcist, and I'm literally just touching on it. If you want more, there's like 10 more pages of trivia about this movie. Earlier, I talked about actress Mercedes McCambridge, who provided the voice of the demon. She insisted on swallowing raw eggs and chain smoking to alter her vocalizations. Furthermore, the actress had problems with alcohol abuse in the past. She wanted to drink whiskey as she knew the alcohol would distort her voice even more and create the crazed state of mind of the character. As she was giving it sobriety, she insisted that her priest be present to counsel her during the recording process. At the director's direction, McCambridge was also bound to a chair with pieces of torn sheet at her neck, arms, wrist, legs, and feet to get a more realistic sound out of a demon struggling against restraints. Mercedes later recalled the experience as one of horrific rage. While the director admitted that her performance, as well as the extremes which the actress put herself through to gain authenticity, terrifies the director to this day. Uh, the bedroom set had to be refrigerated to capture the authentic icy breath of the actors in the scenes. Linda Blair, who was only in a flimsy nightgown, says to this day she can't stand being cold. The Exorcist is the first horror film to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. The original teaser trailer, which consisted of nothing but images of the white-faced demon quickly flashing in and out of the darkness, was banned in many theaters as it was deemed too frightening. Oh, I thought this was interesting. Jack Nicholson was up for the part of Father Carreras before Jason Miller landed the role. Um, but the director thought he was too unholy to ever play a priest. Ellen Bernstein agreed to do the movie only if her character didn't have to say the scripted line, I believe in the devil. The producers agreed to eliminate that that line. In the documentary included on the 25th anniversary edition, the actors revealed that in many shots, it was not necessary to act as what was captured on film were genuine reactions. For example, the Ellen Bernstein when she fell after being slapped by Reagan and being pulled too hard by the harness. Linda Blair's screaming was a reaction to being bounced around on her bed. That was real. William O'Malley recalled that the director slapped him prior to shooting. This caused his hand to tremble, tremble while blessing Father Carreras. Though often cited as one of the most shocking scenes in cinema, the crucifix scene was actually greatly toned down from that of the novel. The substance that possessed Reagan... Oh, this is really funny too. The substance that possessed Reagan Linda Blair that she hurls at um, Father Carreras is thick pea soup. Specifically, it's Anderson's brand pea soup. The crew tried to Campbell's, but it didn't. they didn't like the effect. I think I read that somewhere, actually. Which brand it was? I mean, we yeah. knew it was pea soup. No, like I that they like had to use a certain kind. Places, yeah. Maybe. Before starting the exorcism, Father Marin asked Chris whether her daughter is a middle name. In the Middle Ages, Catholics used to give their children several names as they believed it would hinder Satan from finding out the child's real name and controlling one's soul. Linda Blair hated vegetables so much at the time that the use of the pea soup actually did make her throw up. So I don't know. I mean, was the boy possessed? Was the movie possessed? What do you think? I don't know. I don't. I'm about 50-50 on both sides. Yes, really? it's real. No, it's not real. I know there's so much documentation about this boy being possessed. But no one who will talk about it. Okay, do you want to hear, After. Do you want to hear something creepy, though? What? I was um, going to work with this um, paranormal research team. 
And the guy that did it is it's in Orange, California, actually. And the guy that ran it was telling me that one of the houses that he had done an investigation in, um, it was determined that it had like a manila, like a bad spirit in it. Like it was, it was not just a ghost of Aunt Edna. It was sort of like a demonic personality and that, um, he had to, he had decided, the family had decided to call on the church and, um, they confirmed. I didn't realize this, that there's actually one priest that is designated as the one that performs exorcisms. That doesn't mean that they're real. It makes it a hell of a lot more creepy. Well, yeah, but that's part of their religion. They believe that demons exist and possess people exist. It's creepy though. I never, I didn't, I guess not knowing that. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic church and they talk about all that stuff, but I didn't know that there was one person that was actually trained to do specifically that. And I think that kind of threw me for a loop when I found that out. And there's just a lot of information on this, this boy that it supposedly happened to. And I, I don't, I don't know what I want to believe. I, I kind of just don't want to think about it anymore. This was a hard one to research because I had to keep watching all the stuff and it was kind of freaking me out. I mean, I can handle ghosts far better than I can handle any kind of demonic possession. It's up to you whether you believe Ronald was possessed by a demon or just a demon child, or whether you think the set of the exorcist is haunted and or cursed. The one thing that most people can agree on is that it's one of the creepiest movies ever made. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.